This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. <laughs> the first step required to change something is to bring awareness to it. Then, we can bring some choice around how we act. There's a lot of unconscious shame around our disavowed feminine qualities and longing to reconnect to something we often can't even name. By naming it, normalizing the experience and understanding that this is part of the heroine's journey, we can start to release that shame and empower ourselves to take action to reclaim our full femininity. Valeria interviews Natalie Cordell, She is an accredited transformational coach with an MA in psychosynthesis leadership and organizational coaching. After a 20-plus year successful career in a global pharmaceutical company, she now runs her own business, Cordell Coaching, as a coach and facilitator. She is passionate about helping professional women in midlife reclaim their feminine wisdom and power so they can blossom into their full authentic self-expression. Her thesis, The Wounded Feminine, explores how the imbalance we see in the world reflects our systemic devaluation of feminine qualities and how restoring the balance starts with doing our own inner work. Meet Natalie at CordellCoaching.com. Here's the interview with Natalie Cordell. In your own words, who is Natalie Cordell as of now? Yeah, I love that question um, because it, it's, a, it's a lifelong journey, really, to, to discover who you really are. And I think the more, the more you think you know, the less you, you do. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And the, the, it's, the more you try and put mm. words on it, the, the more mm. you go away from the actual essence. So at some level, you know, at, at a deep, deep, Deep down level, you know, I, I think I'm I'm a sort of a flavor of of something that's very hard to put words on. That's to do with love, an expression mm. of love. Mm. But on the, you know, on at the intellectual level, um, I'm the I identify with many things. So I'm a um, a, a wife, a mother. Um, I'm a um, investigator. I'm mm. curious about things, and that. Journey has led me to um, become a um, to study psychosynthesis and become a psychosynthesis leadership coach, and I'm also a a, a business owner. So I, I'm I'm a um, I run my own business as a leadership coach. Wow, we have a lot to talk when it comes to what you do and the perspectives you have as of today as well. 
have all those questions here that I'll be asking you in a moment about midlife awakening and the wooden feminine, the heron's journey and so many other, I mean, questions that I have here for you on that topic. But before that, second question is about mental health. How do you, how do you define what that is? I think that's the word that we use today and, and that's kind of the acceptable word. I, I don't actually like the word mostly because, you know, the opposite of health is often seen as disease and, yes. um, yeah. you know, there can be sort of stigma around it. Um, I sometimes prefer calling something mental fitness. So I think there's something around, for me, the biggest um, Actually, one of the books that completely transformed my life that, that was a, a, you know, that I remember reading and feeling so different um, after I read it was called The Power of Now. And um, the way he puts his book by Eckhart Tolle, and, you know, he, he's, he's talking about um, the disease is actually the fact that we are identified with the mind. So for me, mental health is more around actually us controlling our mind rather than a mind controlling us, realizing that we we are not our mind, we are mm. not our thoughts. Mm. Um, but often we let the mind um, run away with us and kind of mm. go on autopilot, and that's what can manifest as mental unease, I guess. Um, wow, I never had somebody answer that question this way, <laughs> which is uh, yeah, it's a, it's you answered beautifully in a very clear way, right? Uh, we're not the mind, we're not the body, we're not the thoughts, that's for sure. Yes. Well, let me actually go back. Talk to me about the exploration of psychothesis, leadership coaching. How was the transition between what you did before? I think you worked in pharmaceuticals before. I did. Yeah. yeah so how, how did that feel? Was that a calling? Do you feel like there was a purpose? What was the journey like and what do you call that? Is there mm. something spiritual actually, a spiritual calling or, or something else? Yeah, so I'm, I'm one of these person that never knew what she wanted to do. And I was always so envious, so envious of people who, you know, from the very young age say, I want to be a doctor or a dancer. Mm. And they're, they're just, and it, and, it, and it shows in every fiber of their being, they know. And, and that was never me. And um, so I feel like I've spent my whole life looking for who I was or what I wanted to do, what was my calling, um, you know, to the point where I thought, um, you know, I was thinking, am I ever going to find it? And I feel like the, the psychosynthesis was really the answer. So um, I, I, I just sort of followed, I did follow my heart in a way, you know, the, you know, what, what I'm good at, what I like, but there was never this sort of feeling of, like, oh yeah, this is really what I'm passionate about. And I, I always liked, you know, I, I liked science and I also liked languages and, and writing. So there was almost a, a bit of a split in me and, well, not really a split, but I guess the, where I was, I was brought up in the traditional, you know, world when you have to, uh, if you're academic, you sort of have to make choices, and and it, there was there seemed to be the split. You know, you're either you're either scientific or you're um, more um, into arts and and uh, and things like this. And um, I chose the the scientific route, and so that's how I ended up working in pharmaceuticals. Um, really, and that did answer something. You know, I I, I ended up there a little bit by accident. 
but I stayed for a reason because it did um, line up with my values of, um, you know, working to um, make the world a better place through helping um, make people better through medicine. So, you know, there was definitely an alignment with my values and, and I carried on working and I learned lots of things. I think, you know, often the first part of life is about kind of learning your craft, learning your, who you are and having experiences that you only know later, you know, why mm, they were useful. Right. So, but I, I was always, you know, it's just, I always was looking for more. I think I'm one of these people that just always um, looks for more. I'm a lifelong learner and I'm always, you know, thinking about what's next. When things get comfortable, I I, uh, I look for more. So around, and, and this did correspond with my, my own midlife, um, you know, approaching 40, maybe even before this, you know, the discomfort starts to get even bigger. And and I just thought, I can't pretend, I can't um, pretend that I'm happy with just carrying on, you know, going to work, getting paid, you know, that I have, I want to be, I need to be passionate about what I do. And when I started to not feel the passion, I was questioning what's next and didn't really know what the, what next was. So, um it's sort of, you know, a long story, you know, people sort of interviewed. I met some people, I had coaching at work, and one of them mentioned psychosynthesis. And when I read about it, it was just, um, for me, it felt like, you know, it really hit me. It was thinking, finally, there are words to make sense of how I feel inside. You know, it's, I'm not crazy. You know, I am not mad for wanting more and questioning, you know, the world that we live in. Um, and so that was the beginning of my journey. And for me, it, training as a as a psychosynthesis leadership coach for is about a three years, yeah, three three year journey of training. But it it sort of feels like it was a lifetime up till that point. Yes. Wow. And then, of course, I have to ask you this question now, the audience too. That's when I saw the term, I had to learn more. So, what is psychosynthesis? in your own words. And I know that's something that's already out there, but how do you interpret it? Yeah, but not, it's, it's, you know, not many people know about it. I mean, I didn't know about it until somebody pointed me to it. And I'm, and I'm still wondering why um, it's not that more well known. Um, it's a, it's really, it's a psychology of, you could call it by many names, you know, psychology of hope, psychology of the spirit, psycho-spiritual psycho, um, psychology. Um, it was developed by a um, Italian psychiatrist uh, called Roberto Assagioli around similar time as uh, Carl Jung. Lots of people have heard of Carl Jung, but not so much of Assagioli. And um, it's very similar. So it's it's really um, unlike psychoanalysis that just sort of um, reduces all our experiences to sort of almost like mammalian needs. Um, psychosynthesis really um, puts the self at the center um, of its sort of model of psychology. So, in essence, the the core foundation of psychosynthesis is we are we are a spark of spirit. Um, you know that that's in all of us. Uh, that spark of spirit that uh, we we call self with a with a big S um, is always there. You know, even before we are born. Um, and that's that self is always forever seeking greater, more fuller, uh, more full expression of itself. Uh, but it it does this via the the ego, the the person, the little s, you know, the small self. 
Um, and this is sort of the, 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 yeah, almost like the frame. It sort of becomes a way through which you see the world. But around it, there's, you know, lots of um, tools and models that are duly developed around um, then applying this to actually dealing with, um, um, I don't want to call them mental illness. He was a psychiatrist, so I guess a lot of his work is applied to therapy. Um, but it's really looking at, you know, some of the what might be called, um, even by modern time now, you know, mental illness, actually wondering, you know, what what is this? You know, there's something that's trying to emerge here. There's 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 a there's a function to this, you know. Um and sometimes what happens in when this um effectively this urge, you know, it's like an urge for life. You know, if you if you look in nature, you know, nature grows, you know, the, the tree grows, grass grows, you can't, you know, there's a there's a um a pull for life that's in everything around us. And we have that same pull except as humans, that pull sometimes gets distorted or gets blocked because of our experiences or, um, and that's what then gets distorted um, into um, unease or dis-ease. Um, so psychosynthesis really offers um, very practical tools actually to, um, to, um, to help us on our, on our journey, you know, to, that's that's where the word synthesis comes from, you know, to sort of create a more wholesome human being, so we can we can grow and evolve into a, a better version of ourselves. Mm. Yes, I absolutely love this concept. And as I talked to you off record about the similarities with spiritual philosophies, such as mm. Advaita Vedanta. I'm a student of Vedanta, so it's it's very similar. Of course, the more if we talk, you and I, more about it, we'll see the nuances, the differences, because Vedanta goes really deep into the nature of reality. But in this case, with the psychosynthesis, it's very similar. So the psychology of the self, uh, psycho-spiritual, mm. yes. And a question that I have to ask you now, I, I could wait for later, but I want to ask you now. Uh, <laughs> what, the, what does it look like to be in alignment with the self, with the capital S, Natalie? Oh gosh, that's that's a question. <laughs> yeah. I guess that, that's like um, an ending question, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what I would I would actually say that one one of the risk, one of the risk maybe you know that in in the quest for you know um, the idea of alignment you know is that there's almost a quest for perfection you know it's I, I would for me I would describe it you know it's a feeling, it's a feeling of um, but it doesn't last, you know, and that's partly um, what I feel psychosynthesis is for. It's uh, it's um, it's almost imagining, you know, that there's two directions, you know, pulling us. So we we are, there is a duality, you know. We are we have a we are spiritual beings, but we're in a human body, and and therefore we also have, you know, in our human body, we're limited. You know, we're limited by what we can do. And there's a beginning and and an end, and we always feel that tension because part of us is always longing longing to connect and and be in alignment and yet we also have a role here to play um in our human body and the, the suffering involved so and we can never make that better you know that will always be there but psychosynthesis is almost a way to um i would say maybe reduce the tension or help help sort of navigate that tension a bit better so rather than being completely extreme you 
you're able to flow more with it. But just to answer your question yeah. about, you know, what does it feel to be in alignment? It's never yeah. a straight alignment. You, right. you know, you uh. always fall off track. For me, that's mm. my experience. <laughs> yes. But the this connection, uh. the connection with self is just, um, and, and it's not, um, that was the, the biggest thing for me um, coming into psychosynthesis and, and one of Vasa Julie's uh, teachings is that it's not, this is not something, it's not like Nirvana, it's not something that, one day you'll be enlightened and that's it. It's a very real experience and it's an experience that you can experience now. So there's, for example, there's some meditations that we do. It's called a identification with, with self. Um, very short, very 10 minutes, but there's a, it's a presence. So it's a real, for me, it's something I feel it in my heart. So there's an actual physical sensation of um, being home. When I first mm. experienced it, that was really the the how I would describe mm. it. Oh, this wow. feeling of you know, oh, there you are. You know, that's that's mm. you've that's what I've been looking for, and it and it's just right there. It's inside me. I just have to. And it has always been here. It's something. It's that, always been here. Right? It yeah. was, was not. Yeah. It was never hidden. Yeah. I I usually in a, from a spiritual perspective, I think of kind of uh, realizing the infinite within the finite. That's whatever the experiences I have that that obviously very limited, limited as you said, the body mind experiences, mm. and then I find that all the time because this is my interest. That's mm. what the intellect is very much in, interested in reflection and contemplation of truth. Mm. So yeah, my true nature and the true nature of of this experience. So I'm always mm. always reflecting on it, always. Mm. So in a way, I always kind of find that and then you're right it's kind of a it's not it's a feeling but it's not mm. it's a very liberating feeling it's almost mm. a feeling of freedom itself right I mean that's what it feels yeah. to me like okay I'm free but at the same time it feels like it's not but it's yeah right? it's um <laughs> in the, often people in psych within the psychosynthesis world they 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 call it this experience of no thingness mm. as in it's a yeah. an experience of being in we would call it disidentified so you're not identified with the content of your consciousness you know your body your thoughts your feelings you're in the space but in that space there is there is no thing you're not you're the minute you say you're a thing or then you're you're identifying the in the kind of human journey so it's so <laughs> It's it, it's almost impossible to put words on it because the minute you put words, it's. But it is, yeah. I resonate with that. This feeling of freedom. It's the freedom. It's a, yeah. It's 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 a no thing. Yes, it's definitely a no thing. Maybe that's why. That's exactly the reason why we cannot describe it because mm. it's not a thing, right? We can't describe yeah. it with the mind. But uh -huh. it's a no thing. But it's not nothing. <laughs> yes, that, that's the paradox. Mm. <laughs> it's yeah. not nothing. Yeah, right. No right. Thing. In, in Vedanta, they call it fullness, actually. It's no thing that is full. So as you can see, the mind cannot grasp that. So no. it's a no thing that it's at the same time full. But in the end, Vedanta clearly says that this reality is just a level of reality which is relative. There are different levels of reality. Mm. And this is like a dreamlike reality. Like mm. the, the dream at night that we have, it's a level of reality. I don't know if you heard this before, but I've read this recently and it was fascinating. A dream is real as long as it lasts. So the same is with life. With this, which we call life, 
it's real as long as it lasts. So mm. and then there's the level of sleep in the dream state and then the awakening state. Mm. It's another level. And then when we just wake up for the truth that we are infinite, unlimited, unconditional, mm. then that's a different level of reality. Yeah. And maybe that's yeah. what we call freedom. But we don't have to have be disembodied without the body uh, to realize that. But it, that's true. It's not, it's a no thing that at the same yeah. time becomes things. But it's then, yeah. then again, it's everything. So we can't yeah. separate one from yeah. the other. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a paradox. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It sounds like, Natalie, and I used to think that way, but now I don't anymore. It mm. actually feels like it's very real. It's actually more real than the body-mind. Yeah. That reality feels a lot more real to me. Yeah. So it's I can explain why. I guess because whatever is talking to you now, it's aware of this voice of this conversation. It's not attached to it. It's untouched by it. So it doesn't matter what happens here and with this body in mind. It's just, it's already free. Whatever mm. is aware of all this, it's already, it has been here, it will be here. It can never, it can never dissolve. It's always mm. here. The closer I get to it, that's the feeling I get of freedom. Mm. Like, oh my God, it has been, I've been free all this time and I didn't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And as you say, once you know it, you can't, you cannot unknow it. You yes. can't go back to how, right. how you used to perceive the world before. Yeah. Yes. And I'm having a hard time. It has been a while now. Like I talked to you off record about my husband today. He, he talked about his heart was heavy because his sister died 35 years ago, I believe. And then I couldn't say to him, I could not, well, I cannot reinforce this, the ignorance in a sense of ignoring the truth that we never die. So, or that we are that which just kind of is aware of what's passing, what's changing and what dies. So I have been trying to integrate, um, but it's just not easy with the people around me because they are not ready, I guess. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And then I'm just kind of have, have, I have fun by myself. I guess I do that. And with them, when I talk to people like you, <laughs> my yeah. guests, we just have a lot of meaningful fun here. <laughs> we go deeper into it. But let me go back to psychothesis. So another question that came to me is, what's the connection between, if there is a connection within the work you do, between psychothesis, which I, I know it does very much, and midlife awakening? That's, I would, yeah, talk to me about the connection between those two aspects and concepts. Yeah, so I guess, um, you know, based on what I've said, you know, there's this, um, you know, self is always there and self is always seeking to express, but it needs, it needs what, you know, um, psychologists would call the ego, the, the personality, to express itself. Um, so it's not, you know, the, the ego does serve a purpose. It's serve a, pur- you know, it's there for a reason, and you know, often that's what happens in the first, the first part of our life is actually around, um, you know, through childhood, teenagers is around learning to um, be an individual and and sort of building our own ego, and and often you know, ego gets a bad press because it's used as a gun, we've got too much ego. And actually, you know, the ego is there. You know, we do need to be able to function in the world if we then um, want to be able to to serve. But what happens, and Asajoli calls it a a spiritual awakening, uh, actually a spiritual crisis. He uses the word crisis, crisis, uh, crisis preceding. So he, he wrote a paper around the crisis preceding the spiritual awakening and what happens as a reaction to a spiritual awakening. 
And it's really, um, and it is often around midlife, you know, it's when, when we've sort of reached a point where we, we are independent and we, we are safe. So, you know, the ego is safe uh, and feel safe. It's, there's this call for more. And, and it's often when we realize um, our own mortality, when we sort of confront, okay, so is this it? You know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I leave, I'm now going to die, so what? Mm-hmm. Is, is this it? And there's this... Um, you know, this longing for more, for something more meaningful. So, you know, even in my own journey, you know, I didn't name it as something spiritual. I didn't have that in my vocabulary or my knowledge. You know, I've, I've sort of eventually reconciled even with the word because I was there was some resistance to the word. Um, but, you know, there was this longing for more meaning, for serving, for, you know, it's, it's all these um words around you know wanting to make the world a better place you know all these things that are calling you to say you know that there has to be more than just me you know to to this search for the more than and so he calls it a spiritual awakening and um you know some of it around the 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 crisis preceding is around this feeling of what i used to be so passionate about you know my work is now meaningless i don't losing this taste for life and sort of wondering what's happened and suddenly from one day to the next thinking what's wrong with me you know am I mad what, what's going on so um and it's again it's had a lot of bad press you know when we talk about midlife crisis um there's almost this feeling oh you know they're going through a midlife crisis they're kind of it'll pass and for me it's really actually wanting to name it for what it is it's a it's it's a crisis in the sense that um it's a decision point. You know, there really is a, a, a turning point in someone's life. And far too often, actually, because it's almost seen as something like a disease or, you know, it's, it's the, the unease that you feel inside the pool is so, so strong. You know, really, it's almost like a physical pool um, that you think, I want more. There's, you know, the heart calls to you that if you ignore it and, and, and if people around you are saying, oh, you're mad, you know, you're happy, you know, you've got a life, a job, what more do you want? And because society around us um, reflects that, you know, there's a majority of that narrative, I think, more than the spiritual one. Um, it can feel really, you know, it can lead to depression. It can show up as depression. So one of the symptoms of, this, of the preceding spiritual awakening can be depression. Um, and so, you know, then you go to the doctors, you get given, given antidepressants so that, you know, you, go to, you turn to numbing you know, let's numb the unease as opposed to actually going through it and, you know, really figuring out. Because it is, um, you know, one of the symbols of transformation, um, which I'm sure you know about, but, you know, it's is the butterfly. You know, the, yes. the, yeah. the butterfly shows us the transformation. Now, you know, the butterfly comes from the caterpillar. Yeah. And at some point, the caterpillar has to go into the chrysalis. And inside, what happens inside the chrysalis is the caterpillar dissolves. Um, and at some level, that's what it feels like, you know, when you're going through that midlife, you know, it sort of feels like you're dissolving, you don't know who you are and it's terrifying at some level, it's terrifying at the level of the personality. It's absolutely terrifying. It feels like you're dying or, um, but it's sort of staying with, you know, it's, 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 um, for me, what, what I, um, like to do and that might work and that's the work I did through uh, studying psychosynthesis is if you're then able to actually put the container around you so have the support and that's kind of the chrysalis so you feel safe while you're going through this complete um, dissolution 
is that eventually you will emerge as a butterfly, but you can't, mm. you know, there's there's no way out. You can't mm. bypass the the going through it. Mm. Wow. I love that. I was visualizing that. I'm very visual. Yeah, that sounds beautiful to me. If we can just allow the change, the change to take place, to flow. I was just contemplating today the nature and mm. I, I love flowers. So I was just looking at a flower and and thinking, oh, you know, the, the flower doesn't resist, right? It's just mm. it is, it knows what it is <laughs> and yeah. lets it unfolds. And then it stays here for a little bit and then dies, it goes back. Yeah. And and does it so gracefully. Um, but we humans resist a lot. <laughs> I guess has that has to do with fear, the identification you spoke earlier. It's consciousness, the self identify with the limitations. And then in a way feels so limited. And it's small that, and then, of course, from there, fear arises. And then now it's kind of trying to protect itself from feeling so small. Yes, because at some, yeah, at that level, it's it's terrifying. It feels like a death. Mm, absolutely. Which is important in life, isn't it? We talked earlier, Natalie, about this too, before recording about, I think you mentioned the uh, different kinds of death. The life is made up of dying moments, right? Or die yeah. or death. Everything dies. Even we see day and night, the day needs to die for the night yeah. to arise. And then again, the night needs to die and then the sun. I mean, it's just it constantly, it's showing us constantly how it works, the physical reality. But for some reason, we resist to it all and then we cause unnecessary suffering for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And it's sad to hear, just listening to you now, because some people call the human condition suffering. Mm. And Buddha even said life is suffering. I don't, I kind of try not to think that way, but I guess because I'm not resisting even suffering, it's okay mm. when it arises too, the pain and everything. I guess it's resistance, the, the main problem. Do you find that to be the main issue, the cause of suffering fundamentally when it comes to pain is the resistance to it? Partly. I think partly, yeah, there is, is that control is this sort of almost this illusion. <laughs> we all have an illusion of control. Yes. This idea that, yeah. um, and and it is, you know, in many ways we are very powerful human beings and, it, and, and in another way, at, at another level, we're completely powerless. So, but the, the ego, or, you know, wants that illusion and the mind particularly wants that illusion of control. Um, and when it doesn't have that, you know, it's, um, yeah, there's there's the fear there, so we resist whatever is. And often the the way through, I mean, we talked about grief earlier, and to me that's partly, um, I mean, I talk a lot about the feminine and the masculine and sort of be, being the cause, you know, in my world, it's like this is the cause of everything. <laughs> um, you know, we've, the, the, in terms of the feminine, the feminine has been split um, and part of the feminine has been sort of demonized. You know, if you look at, if you think about, you know, Eve, um, uh, you know, Eve and her curiosity and she's responsible for, you know, humanity's sin. And in, in the Christian religion, for example, you know, the, the feminine is sort of represented by Mary, which is the mother and the, the virgin. But there's a whole part of the feminine, which is um, the powerful feminine and the sort of sexual woman. And that sort of and, and the woman who's in touch with nature and, and her intuition, that that figure has been sort of turned into the witch and, and you know you've got all the history of the winch hunts and actually combined together you know there there's a sort of light and dark part but they are that's 
um, the feminine as a whole. And my view of this is that there is one of the symptoms of this sort of um, feminine split and how we've completely rejected and repressed this um I'm going to use the word dark feminine, but even I don't like the word, you know, the the, the sort of other side of the feminine um, is fear of death, is fear mm. of change, because that's mm. one of the yeah. the symbols of that aspect of the feminine is that understanding and total acceptance that actually life is a cycle of death and rebirth and, mm. that, and that it's it's nothing to be mm. scared of. It's just, you know, it's almost it's a good one. You can't just have life, 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 you know, life that just keeps growing and growing and growing like the economy, you know, growth, 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 it's not, it's not healthy, it's not balanced, you know, in, in the human body, it's called cancer, you know, mm. you, you need, you need death, you know, you need, um, death is healthy, in mm. a way, so mm. I feel that in the, you know, in the collective consciousness, if I can use that word, there is almost this, like, you know, this fear of death, like, and actually, if we were to befriend death death is the is the source of life the minute you lean into death you you find life mm, wow i love that <laughs> that's timeless wisdom to me yes oh my god so you i mentioned resistance you mentioned control you added control to it coming from egotism yes the illusion that we are separate from life itself it's yeah that's it i would love to hear more about the feminine wisdom this kind of, yeah, powerful wisdom of not being afraid. It's almost like some people will get scared of that, <laughs> facing a, a female or anyone with those qualities, that it's not afraid of anything, that's just very open to life, which to me is really love. That's what it is. Mm. That's how I see love. It's just being open to this adventure called life. Mm. And whatever happens, ah, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see, a lot of people are afraid of that. They cannot even conceive the idea that we, you know, fear is necessary. They, it's almost like um, keeping themselves small. It's so sad. But I didn't know that this actually, mm. I think I have heard it before, but not the way you speak of. It has to do with the feminine energies, which has nothing to do with gender, right, Natalie, or feminism. I would love, can you, can you clarify that yeah. just in case? Yeah, I mean, and and I use that word because to yeah. me, it's just it was it's just part of my realization, you know, when I sort of suddenly realized that the wounded feminine, and I still want to use this word. It, somehow, I don't know why it feels important to me, even though I know that many people will hear it and will think it's about women and it's about you know, um, uh, you know, the oppression of women and how many, you know, and and it's and to me, you know, we need to get out of that duality. There is duality, but it's more, you know, I like the, the the Chinese concept of yin and yang. You know, we all have it. And I think when you describe those qualities, everybody can recognize themselves uh, in it. So the masculine being more the qualities of, you know, action and focus and the mind and the, the rational mind, um, whereas the feminine being more um, flowy and um, about emotions and intuition. Um, and we... And that was part of my realization, actually, uh, how mm. yeah. realizing that I was yeah. repressing, even though I'm I'm a woman, right. you know, and I'm comfortable in, you know, I love being in a woman right. body, and and I've never thought otherwise, um, and I don't feel ashamed of it. I, I realized mm. that my yeah. how could my repression was a lot more subtle. So. Uh, it's almost like it was very internal. So, you know, I, I, I don't dress in a masculine way, mm, but yeah. inside 
uh, I had beliefs such as, you know, I, I had shame around emotions. So my own, my own feelings and emotions felt, you know, yes, they're there, they're there, but it's, you know, and I hear it in the, my clients a lot, you know, I'm, I'm too emotional. I'm too emotional. I know, you know, like it's a problem. <laughs> um, so that was one of the things, the, uh, my intuition, you know, the whole idea of intuition, trusting your intuition felt wrong. You know, it's like the rational mind, you know, you have to think logically that's, that's the, the safe bit. The intuition's a bit, um, suspicious. Um, and imagination as well, just, you know, just imagining just, uh, felt like a waste of time. You know, if you're just sitting there doing nothing, you're wasting your time, you're being lazy. So I realized that this bias towards the masculine values, um, if you see what I mean, was, you know, I'd integrated that. And that's a little bit what um, I think you mentioned the heroine's journey at the beginning. That was also a book that sort of laid it all out for me. You know, it talks exactly about this, about um, the journey of the heroine, starting with a, a split from the feminine and an identification with the masculine values uh, of society, um, you know, of of uh, having a career of the intellect and that was very much me, you know, I would, I would, uh, my intellect was my strength because in society, that's where the strength was, you know, being a, a woman and, and being all these other feminine qualities was seen as either less important or, or weak or, you know, there was a negative um, clout around them. Um, and so for me, my own journey has been around actually um, mm, owning, yes. re-owning these qualities and seeing yeah. the beauty, not, not only the beauty in them, but also their power. Yes. So, you know, emotions, yes, I feel, and it's, sometimes it's painful, but how can I, you know, that's also a blessing. Um, and same with my mm. intuition, you know, my body yes. also being into, you know, the whole idea that actually my body, my body tells mm. me things, you know, I can mm. feel things through my body and, and that's just as valid as what my mind is telling me. You know, that was completely foreign to me but I've I've learned to reclaim this and and I feel that that's um what's missing you know even if I you know I, I worked in the corporate world you know and I just see yes we, we talk about gender equity and having more women at the top and I think yes of course it's valid but if as women we still sort of emulate the the, the masculine qualities it's it's not it's only half of the job and um and so for me, that's why I don't like the word feminism because it feels somehow that it's still a, an ism, you know, it's like a, a split and it tends to be conflated with gender, you know, female and male. And to me, men, men are just, you know, I look in my family and, um, you know, my, my, my father, my brother, my husband even, you know, I see the same wound there. You know, boys being told boys don't cry and you know, not being able to show their emotions. That that repression of the feminine is in men too. I'm I'm not necessarily the person to um to talk about it, but it's there too. Wow. That is Sorry, I get very passionate. Yeah, I love that. About this. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Uh in it makes sense to me, resonates true. I mean, I'm just listening to you and kind of, oh yes, yes for everything, <laughs> because Mm-hmm. I can see myself, I mean, in a sense of body-mind, the body-mind kind of navigating those realms and those splits, yes, duality and all that, and kind of choosing one side over, over the other, or overemphasizing one side. What is the antidote? What to do? You see, that's a masculine thing too, what to do. We don't <laughs> want to do something to become more feminine, <laughs> those qualities. But is that a matter of harmony, Natalie, finding that harmony within ourselves, that balance? per se? Yeah. Or... 
I really like the word balance. Um, and I know because harmony or I hear people sometimes, they say, I just want peace. And and unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, you know, even balance. So my favorite word yeah. actually is dynamic balance. Ah, yeah. So it's that. never static. Yes. You know, it's not, you know, yeah. it, it, there isn't this perfect equilibrium that one day. And I, yes. you know, I'm saying this, even as I'm saying it, I know that part of me wishes and still longs yeah. for it and still probably searches for it. Yeah. And every now and then I'm reminded no, it's not, you know, it's dynamic. So, you know, the masculine is just as useful. You know, the mind is a beautiful tool, very powerful. Then you need the masculine, you know, you need the the masculine to take action. Otherwise, you know, the, just being receptive all the time, just nothing, nothing happens. There's no growth. There's no transformation. So they really are both needed. But it's about, for me, it's been um, first a reclaiming of those feminine qualities and then, um then really working on that balance, you know, and, and um, making space for the feminine, but also, um, you know, kind of re relearning to love my masculine side as well. You know, it's, it's been in charge for so long yes. that, um, you know, I don't want to make it the enemy, right. um, but it's, it's finding a dynamic balance. Yes. I love that too. Yeah. That, that I have heard this idea before that really caught my attention because we think of mm. balance of just almost like a destination type of thing and uh, like mm, static, but yeah. it's not, right? We always, in a way we need to, it's almost like going away from home just for the adventure in a forest and then knowing the way back to me and that that would be yeah. balanced to me. Like I know how to come back. Yeah, then the symbol for this, which I love, is that, you know, the, the symbol for the masculine is sort of linear. It's the, it's the arrow, it's the straight line, whereas the feminine is the, it's the sort of uh, the circle of the, you know, the receptive circle. And actually, you know, um, when you combine them together, so you have a circle that goes in the, in the direction of a line, you get a spiral. So it's, uh, you know, and that's really life is a spiral. It's not, it's never static. It's always growing. But when you're going on a spiral, you yes, you are going back. It feels like you're going back in a circle, but you're, you'll find yourself back to where you started, but from a higher position. Mm. And somehow, even though it's the same, everything looks <laughs> different. Oh my God. I have to say that anyway. Since we start talking, every time I, I do the audio interview, I do the videos too. So I can't do this when I'm doing video. But when I'm doing audio interview, I'm listening to my guests. I'm doing scribbles, like doodling. And then, yeah. I, and then I look at it to see what's coming up, what's happening. And with you, since the very beginning, it was spires everywhere. I have been drawing oh, them. I'm going this. to take a picture and send it to you. I do a mandala because I love mandalas <laughs> and then the flowers. And then I had uh, lots of spires around the mandala. Oh, and amazing. you just said, Yeah, it. I'd love to have a picture. I of will. That. <laughs> it's like a scribble thing. It's right here. Uh, <laughs> that's how amazing how everything's interconnected. Yeah. Right? It's like the yeah. energy is here. It's just, it knows. It really knows. <laughs> mm. Oh, my God. So we're almost at the end. Uh, I know. I could talk for another hour. Please come back so we can have a more, you know, just expand this conversation. But let's see the other questions I had to you. I want to mention the services that you offer. So workshops, events, one-on-one coaching, feminine leadership program. So this is actually a course, I believe, uh, develop, development course uh, centered around the heroine's journey. I think I found this yeah. on your website. And then you also have the I Am Remarkable Workshop, Overcome Imposter Syndrome. One, this, I believe this is an event. Is it? Yeah, yes. an event. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a webinar and as well. The, oh, a webinar too. And then healing the perfectionist and setting healthy yeah. boundaries. So you, I just made mm-hmm. a note of them here. Everything can be found on your website and I'll have the link on the podcast notes I have here. What yeah. is your website, Natalie? I do have it here somewhere, but please mention it. Yeah, so it's it's um, my company's called Cordell Coaching. So the website is www.cordell and that's C-O-R-D-E-L-L-Coaching.com. Uh, ah, wonderful. I do have the link here. So I'll have on your podcast mm-hmm. profile. But before we say goodbye for today, I mean, I wish I could go deeper into the conversation, but the time, the limitations, interesting. Yeah. But even though it's limited with, uh, you know, we have to end, it feels timeless to me. I think that's what mm-hmm. I look with every moment in this experience in the human body is that the timeless, mm. the infinite. And this feels mm. infinite, this conversation. Like, oh, everything disappears. <laughs> and mm. it's, uh, yeah, and there's no ending. There's no, I don't see the, yeah, there's no boundaries to it. It's just so expensive mm. to talk about these things. So thank you so much for yeah. your presence in this reality, in this relative reality. Oh, thank you. No, it's been really a pleasure, oh. yeah. Oh. And then before we say goodbye for today, for today, I do have these uh, ending questions. I guess I'll ask you this one. Yes, what is your understanding of love these days? If you were to describe what love is, I mean, I know I mentioned what I thought it was, but what do you, what comes to mind? I think it's everything. Uh, I think it's who we are really deep down. Um yeah, uh-huh. it's, that's, yes. uh, if you want a few words, that's what that's what I would say. It's um, it's life. It's love is everything. You know, you people say you know money makes the world go round. I think love makes the world uh, go round. That's just the source of everything. Yes, beautifully said. Um, yes, and I guess the last question that I often ask everyone, and I'll ask you too, is this one here: What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they die, before they lose the body? The, the experience of self. So do the 10-minute disidentification meditation. You'll you'll actually will find it on my website under one-to-one coaching. You can sign up. Yeah, that that experience of of self, of home. Um, because what I find is that even if you don't have the the mind construct or or the belief around spirituality, it it doesn't matter. You don't need. It's one of those things. You don't need to agree with it or to believe in it even, you can experience it. So that's um, that meditation of sort of experiencing self and this feeling in you. Yes. And that, yeah, that's the one, but you asked yes. for three. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, the experience of loving oneself, you know, applying compassion to oneself. That's another one. I feel that so often that's, that's really the key. Um, uh, that's something I've had to relearn, but just to be kind to oneself, uh, to give yourself some love. Because that's really where unconditional love is. You know, we tend to look for it outside ourselves in other people, and that's never that can never be perfect because we're all human. So really that unconditional love is inside you. Just watch a sunset. Uh, yes, <laughs> very simple. <laughs> yeah, the simple things, right. Thank you so much again, Natalie, for being you, for being open to life. Mm. Thank you. Uh, ah, it's thank truly you. beautiful. We need more <laughs> flowers in the world <laughs> in the form yeah. of humans. <laughs> more beauty. Uh, yeah, indeed. Love and yeah. beauty. Yes, that's exactly what I mean. That's the way, how I see beauty when I see human beings uncovering themselves. 
Yeah, that to me is the most beautiful flower. So thank you so much again for that, for the inspiration. And we'll talk soon. Take good care of yourself. Yeah, thank you. Bye yeah. for now, Natalie. All the best. Thank you. Bye, Valeria. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Natalie Cordell and her work, please visit CordellCoaching.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.